This podcast is brought to you by Indio Technologies. Indio is a white labeled solution providing agencies with the tools they need to enhance their client experience and improve operational inefficiencies. You know, I think one of the greatest things about Indio, Steve, is it reduces friction between marketing and production. You know, it allows everybody to get on the same page to collect the data together and it really stops making the marketing department into the bad guy. I just, a well-implemented solution will increase cohesion and reduce how much communication is needed to bring that risk to fruition effectively. Hey, that's great, Ryan. So if you want to learn more about NDO and register for a one-on-one -on -one demo, go to www.useusendio.com slash podcast. Welcome to the Digital Broker Podcast with Steve Anderson and Ryan Deeds, where we help agents and brokers drive profitability through operational excellence. Well, welcome back to the Digital Broker Podcast. I'm Steve Anderson, along here with my co-host, Ryan Deeds, and uh, we're glad you uh, came back to listen to this episode. I'm really excited. We have a guest with us today, uh, Nick uh, Lamparelli. Ryan, why don't you take that over? You know Nick better than I do and uh, start off our conversation. Yeah, well, first and foremost, I, I, I love Nick because of the, the message of positivity that he and his organization brings to insurance. And Nick is, is part of the insurance nerds group, insnerds.com, that puts out marvelous content about the challenges in our industry with millennials among a, a, a slew of other things. And it's a very, seems like a very altruistic mission that they have. And um, I was lucky enough to kind of be in their sphere when they had some technical problems. And so they came to me and, and we were able to kind of build a relationship and um, I'm better for knowing them. And so I, I, I'm, I'm with you. I'm very excited that Nick's here and uh, Nick, welcome. And maybe you can give us a little bit about your background and how did you come to be the INS, one of the INS nerds and the other stuff that you got going on? Sure, sure. Hey guys, I'm honored. Steve, I've been, I've been connected with you for years and this is the first time we've met, so shame on me. You know, I apologize for that. And Ryan, I've known Ryan for quite some time. We're, we're becoming pals on Slack now, sharing info. So I love the work that you guys are doing, so I, I'm honored. I'll give a little bit of background about myself. So... 20 plus year insurance professional. I actually left graduate slash medical school to get into insurance. It's a long story. You can listen to one of my podcasts that will tell you why I did that. But, you know, when it comes to insurance, I, I didn't really, I don't think I fit in. I, it took me about 10 years to find my footing in insurance. I always thought I would leap over to finance. And then I found the analytics and I found my passion and now it's, now it's a no brainer. And I feel like it's part of my duty to take that 10 year learning curve that, that it took me to find my, my passion and to help young professionals uh, shrink that to two or three years. You know, what can we do? What can I do specifically to help young professionals know more about the industry so that they can navigate their career path in a way that that fits their strengths better and can they can potentially find a home 
And I think one of the most disheartening things that I see occurring in insurance is that these young professionals come in and they leave, you know, after a year because there's just, they don't see any hope in it. So I want to solve that. So how I, how I came across insurance nerds was simple. I, I saw an article Tony wrote uh, years ago. And, and I was just like, whoa, this is a great little site that they have here. I ended up writing, writing some articles for them. Um, and then, you know, I had been talking to Tony and Carly for a while after that and just saying, you guys are really onto something pretty cool. I approached them with an offer they couldn't refuse. I said, let me join Insurance Nerds and I'll start a podcast for you. And they had been meaning to start a podcast. I promised to do some writing for them. And we are a really good fit for one another. But that's, that's the mission of Insurance Nerds is to solve this looming problem that's occurring in the insurance space, which is uh, young professionals don't seem to want to come into insurance. We're going to have a massive talent gap. Um, I'm, I'm very concerned about the industry and, and selfishly because I, I have an insurance company. I can describe more about that if you guys want. But, you know, I'm going to be working with young professionals for the rest of my career, and I want to make sure it's the top talent and not the dregs, not, not people that um, are loath to be in insurance. I want to find anything I want the good else, talent. right? Yeah. 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 Well, and I think I have to speak for, I'm going to speak for Ryan here. He can obviously do that himself, but uh, it, it is an issue I've been looking at for quite some time, uh, as, as I call it, the demographic time bomb, right? But that gap between the boomers, uh, myself included in that, who in the not too distant future are going to be moving off. And, uh, you know, where are we, the industry, agent brokers, carriers, it, it's the industry, uh, going to find those people that uh, can step in. And, um, you know, I think there's a huge opportunity there, but there certainly is a gap in at least perception. So uh, I guess my first question is, and I'm going to use the word millennials, so you can correct me if that's not the right way to describe young professionals I like. Uh, at my age, they're the kids, quote unquote, which <laughs> I try not to say too often. But you know, even that's not necessarily true because those kids are turning you know mid mid thirties if not older so what what is their perception of the industry well the young professionals that are graduating from college and potentially coming in they they know almost nothing about insurance literally and so I, I think technically they're they're called gen Z I'm using my air quotes yeah but let's just let's just block them all into millennials I don't think they're insulted by that term. Uh, their perception of the industry is that it two things. I think two things really stand out. They either think the industry is immoral or they think it's boring. I think that's so dead on. That's what I think all the time, Nick. I, because I think, you know, you're fighting this like losing battle because I do believe that insurance as a for-profit industry is directly uh, – anti what most of those young generations stand for, which is a, a community driven support ecosystem, yeah. which would not be, you know, which is, that's it, not insurance. That's right. It's dissimilar. Well, yeah. And so I think, I, I think the very nature of profit off of loss is a challenge for those millennials for, for any of the young professionals coming out. 
it, it's, it's a sour taste in their mouth. And that's, I think it's an existential issue because how do you change that when that's kind of the nature of it? Well, if you, you know, Steve, Ryan, if you turn on the news and there's any kind of mention about insurance, let me ask you guys, more likely than not, is it going to be positive news or negative news? Or negative. Exactly. Right. So it's going to be the insurance company denied my claim. Right. Um, You know, rates are going up, uh, record profits, whatever. (laughs) Exactly. That's, that's what they're going to hear. That's all they know. And, you know, obviously we know that that's not, the reality on the ground that it actually as an industry, it's incredibly rich and complex, rich in diversity in like, you know, if someone, if someone becomes good, uh, gets into workers' compensation, that's incredibly more different than personal lines or homeowners auto. You, you know, there's, there's a different skill set that's required for every single aspect of all of these different businesses. So, you know, that, that's, that's the, that's the perception that we're battling right away is um, recruiters going to college campuses. They go there, you know, the, most of the people don't want to hear that message. The ones that might be open to it, you know, they're, they're going to, they may, they may not be the, the type of talent you want to bring in. So there's, there's a, 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 mi- a mix match of, of communication. Right. Well, and I think like The Incredibles, when you watch The Incredibles, there's a segment in there that in the first like 15 minutes that I believe con- conceptualizes the perception that young individuals and a lot of people really have about our industry, you know, and it, it's a very, um, it, it's, it's where the big superhero is working at this insurance place and he's trying to help this old lady and they're denying stuff and that's his job. And so, I, you know, as I think through how we sh- help shift that, and when we look at like Meeker's report and we see Twitch blowing up, you know, my head goes to trying to get out when they're younger, you know, trying to, to, to generate a game where you're, you're helping rebuild lost stuff or something. I don't know, because I don't know how you, you address that fundamental issue. I mean, to me, SimCity is a game that is all about insurance. Right you're you're building you're building this you know community and then godzilla comes through and destroys it like if folk, if younger professionals knew how what the industry actually did and how it operated they would change their mind because you know everyone we deal with ryan would go to our slack channel everyone those are fanatics those sure. are just normal people who who see the value of what it is that we try to do. So that's, that's the value proposition that insurance brings. But I think from a career perspective, you know, if you're math oriented, it's hard to get more challenging than coming into insurance and doing the actuarial science. It's yeah, hard. That, that's no. if, if you're a scientist, we have uh, claims that are associated with meteorological events, ground shaking, flooding, there are, you know, product liability is all about trying to predict the future of some, um, you know, some product causing some disease or some harm and the legalities around that and what, I mean, that's, that's, a, that's an entire operation dealing with science and mathematics and statistics. If you're a scientist, if you're a mathematician, if you, if you are a marketing person, if you are an English major, there is a home for you 
in the business because it just encompasses so many different areas. But if you think you're working so, for Darth Vader, you're not going to go there. That's the challenge, right? Yes, I mean, yeah. We can have as many opportunities as avail as as ever. But if it, if you're working for the Empire and if that's the perception, then you're not going to have the retention that you need to have these ex these excellent thought leaders in 20 years. You know that's that's the challenge because that turnover. So, so whose fault is that? Whose fault is that perception or not getting what the three of us agree is a great industry? I've been in it a long time, my entire working career. Whose fault is it? And, and what can be done or should be done in order to communicate better some of these other aspects? Fault is hard, Steve. Um, you know, well, let's, then let's just talk about what can be done. You know, let's not blame it. It is what it is. Hard. I actually think fault is easy. The, the fault is the consumer, right? Because the consumer doesn't give a damn about insurance until they take a loss. They take a loss. They had an exclusion in their policy. They go on social media and they, they, they holler about it. What they forget is the 1,400 other claims that were successfully resolved. But we tie onto that one. So... <laughs> I think it comes back to the consumer's lack of education and lack of engagement. Well, yes. And the has some culpability in that as well. Yeah. But, I, you know, it, my, as much as I like the industry, the, the product is garbage. Like, and I'm talking like that piece of paper. It's, <laughs> it's unreadable. It's, um, because it's unreadable, it, it adds to the level of distrust in the transaction. You know, so you, you don't know reading that contract whether in certain situations you're going to be covered or not. And so, the you know, the way that I've sort of thought about this is I, I think the future of insurance is not that policy. It's, it's not that paper contract. To me, what, what, ends, up making, what ends up making insurance more, uh, changing the perception of insurance is if we can abstract the user from the insurance transaction. And I think there, there's one way, there's, a, there's one good way to do it, and that would be to begin embedding insurance into other products. So uh, you've seen with Tesla right. and Elon Musk, he wants to create his own insurance policy for that particular auto. I don't know what the ramifications are of that, but that is sort of the direction I think we could be transitioning towards. Or vice versa, fine, you have an insurance policy and a product. What else can we embed into that product that gives the consumer an, uh, a sense that we actually care? Not this, not, Ryan, not this hypothetical, hey, there's an event and, you know, some future hypothetical event that we're going to pay your claim on. But today, you know, we as an insurance company are doing something to prevent that event prevent that, you know, catastrophe from occurring. What right. can we do? And so I'm thinking like, how do you build risk prevention and risk mitigation into your insurance policy? How do you bundle those things in a way that it's not just a piece of paper with complicated wording on it. It's got something that today I can use. Like the water shutoff thing, right? I mean, where, exactly. where a, a, a leak detector automatically will shut your pipes off if something happens. Inter Internet of on the insurance to provide value, right? Internet of things seems like, to me, seems like low-hanging fruit. Yeah, I agree. You know, think of a cable company, right? 
you you buy cable, but they give you boxes of stuff, right? And someone comes over and installs it. I see that I could see foresee this, a similar scenario with the internet, a smart home. So if someone comes over, installs installs a smart home, and the insurance company actually gives it to you. They actually make your home smart, and in exchange, you have a multi-year policy with them, so they can recoup their cost on that gift, so to speak. And but now everybody benefits. The consumer has a home that is uh, less likely to suffer loss, or if it does suffer loss, it'll be it'll be less severe. The insurance company's collecting all of this valuable data. That's from, what, that's what scares from me. that about that, and I agree. I think that, that situation is is actually where we will be as we head forward. I just think that there's some serious privacy concerns with the data, and I also think that there's obviously security concerns, as uh, a couple of our guests have indicated. I mean, sure, is that where you are, Steve. But 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 that's an engine that, like that's an engineering problem, right? Absolutely, absolutely, and yeah, that can be solved. And and it seems that this age or generation at least from what I'm, I think I'm starting to understand, is willing to give up their data if they get something in return. Until um, they take tangible, until they take tangible losses or tangible, I mean, right now everybody gets hacked all the time and you don't really see a whole lot of um, stuff. If a whole lot of stuff starts happening, I think with that data, and then I think that that might change a little bit, but I think everybody's so kind of inundated. Maybe, maybe. Um, so let's um, let's talk agents and brokers internal. Couple comments. One is I think millennials get a really bad rap from most boomers because uh, I think most of us. I'm certainly a boomer. I will stand in as a representative for all of them. You know, have I think a negative view of millennials, especially in terms of recruiting, hiring, training, and and retaining. Right, they're job hoppers. They they want you know the next job or the next raise or the next promotion. You know, I've been here four weeks. I should be getting my promotion. Right, all, all of those kinds of things. What's reality from your perspective, and 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 what's truth? And then, what needs to change? You know, I think boomers need to change some of their thinking, but. Is it all on us or is it some on the new employees we're looking to, to hire, train, to replace those of us who are moving out? I think that's reality, Steve. Which? It, it, what you, how you just described that generation. But there are trade-offs. Okay, so this isn't like all good, all bad. So I, I remember reading an article that someone wrote about millennials and it was, it was written by a boomer. And he basically said, hey, we put this on ourselves. You know, we gave these kids participation trophies. What were we expecting was going to happen when they entered the workforce? This mm. is what we can expect to happen. But with that said, the trade-off with them is that if, if they're committed, they will overwork. They will, they will give more of themselves if they're committed to the cause but they have to be committed to the cause. That again, but that's that's another problem for insurance, right? To recruit them in, to retain them, you have to give them a cause to be committed in. I was just going to yeah. say exactly that phrase. There has to be a cause okay. to be committed to. So so think about the recruitment and the onboarding process and then to to try to retain 
these types of employees, uh, you pretty much have to change everything on, on how you're dealing with this particular generation. They want a path. They want a cause. They need to know how they're contributing. If they don't have those things, they will, they will disengage and then you're going to lose them. And so the job hopping thing is true. It's a, it's a fact. And if you want to solve that particular problem, you have to get to the under, underlying cause, which is they're not be, becoming engaged. And, and I can tell you, Steve, from my experience, just going into corporate America and going into different jobs over the last 10 to 20 years, corporate America does a really bad job onboarding training and doing those kinds of things. So it's not just insurance, it's, it's everywhere. But it, the, the unfortunate thing for insurance is it's a little bit easier for millennials to find their cause somewhere else if they don't come into the industry with a preconceived notion that it's immoral or boring. All they're doing on day one when they come into insurance, if you, have, if you treat it like the status quo and just have a normal corporate onboarding process, you've now convinced them that it is more immoral or potentially boring and there's going to be nothing for them. So they're just going to bide their time before they're gone. Yeah. And get some training or get some experience that they can take elsewhere. Yeah. Well, I think that's exacerbated uh, in the agency space where it's the, it's a smaller place. So these, these younger folks that come on, we need the expertise of the 20 year folks, but the, the younger person wants to spend three or four years in the trenches and then be able to move to the next level if you're lucky to get three or four. And when you when you have smaller organizations, you, you really have to be more strategic about, like you said, how you, you create that pathing and how you change your culture around. And that's one of the things that you know makes me queasy about the, the agency space because we are so small. A lot of times we don't have those resources. So the smaller agencies become incubators for these folks that then graduate out to the larger shops. Um, and, and That's it's true. Thing. That's true. But these, these young kids are digital natives. Absolutely. They love, they love technology. Yeah. Yeah. So that's how you engage with them. So that's an advantage right. for these small agencies is that they need to outsource the onboarding process, the training process. They need a, a technological solution to that and these kids will eat that up they will love that if you say you're going to get some training today and they're sitting in front of a computer you know taking exams they they feel right at home right well, and that. i've seen i mean and i've seen you know there is not a problem that most of these folks can't solve if you have that engagement because they're so good at research right there's they, they've had instant answers for so long like you'll see some 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 um, employees that were not digital natives get stumped by something and come to me and ask how do i do I very rarely get that from that other class just because they've Googled it 50 times and they might shoot me a Slack message and say, hey, I ran into this. This is how I resolved it, any issue, you know? And so it's a very different mindset. Yeah. I, I, I do think that, you know, from an agency perspective, there, there needs to be a change. There needs to be a change in how you run your operations because oh, yeah. you have to engage with these sort of employees in a completely different way. So I, I have millennials or Gen Zers in my company and they don't want to talk to me. <laughs> you know, it, it's, it, it's, it's actually annoying to me because I just feel like I'm bothering them when I call them up to, to chat with them. And that's the way I resolve things is I'll pick up the phone and say, 
I don't, you know, I don't want to do this Slack messaging back and forth 50 times. Let's talk about it right now. And so I can ask you a few questions and I feel like I'm annoying them. They don't want to talk to me. They just want to handle it all in email or Slack or whatever. So if you're an agency owner and you want to perpetuate your agency, you need a younger generation to come in. Unfortunately, this is what you have to do. You have to transform your agency. And, and I would actually, I would suggest, you know, finding one of those firms that specializes in agency related consulting that, that does that, you know, that, that can help you, uh, you know, create the onboarding process, set up the appropriate engagements, you know, how do you communicate with these folks? What kind of tracks do you need to put them on? Milestones and all of that jazz. Uh, it's, it's just critical or else, what a waste of expense to recruit these kids, to get them in, and then six months later they're gone and you have to, you have to bring someone else in. That is incredibly wasteful and expensive. Well, that's what we talk about. I mean, for me, my perspective, HR today is the most important department in an agency because they are the ones that are ultimately bringing the raw materials to leverage the technology, the innovation, anything else. And if we can't keep them, then it's just this terrible churn. And so, yeah. you know, that's why you've seen this drastic shift over the last three or four years with where HR was kind of an admin function. And now it is the function, right? Where culture is everything. You have all these different parties and dan we have dance offs on Thursday or Tuesday. I mean, it's crazy stuff, right? Like they try to do things to, to create an energized environment that, that's spontaneous to keep folks engaged. And I mean, it's so much different than I would ever, when I, when I look 10 years back, the principals back in the day would have laughed at that, right? They would have, oh, we're not doing any of that craziness. But that's what I think, like you said, they either have to get an outsourced HR help or they've got to get somebody that really understands the overall strategy to be yeah. able to do these 10 different things they've got to do to bring that. To I mean, it's, it's a completely different world. Yeah. Um, you, guys, you guys can will probably recognize what I'm describing, but every agency that I worked at was the account managers and the CSRs were predominantly women. Mm -hmm. They were predominantly older. Uh, I, I had incredible amounts of respect for them because it was like, that was the, that was where the wisdom was. Sure. But because of that environment, the agency settled into a particular culture where, you know, quite frankly, it was boring, you know, <laughs> and, you know, and, and, and honestly as well, you know, the agencies would, I don't know, they would, they would just settle into a process where, a young person today going into it would, would just will never survive. They just couldn't sit there and go through what it, what it was that they would have to go through in that. So, yeah, not, not, I think it was last year, could have been the year before, but uh, I was doing a presentation and had a, a, a mom who was, you know, maybe 40, not, not real old, but uh, her daughter was uh, high school and came into the agency to work some for the summer. And um, she was telling me this story and she said, well, I asked my daughter sort of at the end of the summer, you know, what do you think about, you know, working in an insurance agency as a career? And she said, I can't imagine sitting at a desk all day like this for the rest of my career. And, and for me, that was a bit of an eye opener in terms of perception. And, and, and I think that speaks to your point. There's a certain culture 
that it has been created or is created in, in some agencies that don't lend itself to some of that fun or, or whatever. So um, quick comment on the HR, and I do believe that that function is changing. Uh, I actually am becoming convinced that the correct performance criteria for an HR person is retention. I like that. Yeah. I mean, they, they get what, what is their performance KPI, whatever you want to call it, it's yeah. retention. Yep. So that takes into account recruitment, onboarding, effective training and career path. Cause that is what's going to keep somebody there. But how do you know if they're doing a good job? You know, what's retention look like? So anyway, just sort of a side note there. No, I like I like that, Steve. I think that I think that's very valuable. Um, it's easy to, it's easy to find somebody off the street if you want to, you mm-hmm. know. If you if you want to fill your office with people, you can fill your office with people. But if you want people that are going to be engaged and you want people that are going to stick around for a while, you know, for, for agents and brokers that you know. You know, owners that are listening to this that have some kind of pull, even HR professionals, you go, you're going to have to change the culture, and it's more than just putting a foosball table, right? And, you know, that's yeah. or that snacks not, in the kitchen, or you know, whatever. That's, that's not enough, you know, yeah. and it, it just seemed, you know, what, what the way Ryan described it, it just it is very different than what the typical agency owner is going to be comfortable with, but they're going to have to step out of their comfort zone if they want to perpetuate to the younger generation and get them engaged. If you can get them engaged, they will overperform. Mm-hmm. So there is, you know, um, the, the boomers. So I'm in between, I'm Gen X. So I've seen the boomers. I've seen how they operate. The, the boomers you can count on, I think, you know, very, um, I'll describe them in a particular way. I think the average boomer would likes the nine to five, the day in, day out. I know what I'm supposed to be doing and I'm going to do it. That's what makes the boomers good is they can take a monotonous job and just kind of keep plowing through it. Millennials will not do that. They, They absolutely will not. But if you get them engaged, it's not a nine to five to them. It's part of their life. They will overachieve uh, if you let them. So I want to ask, Nick, you a question and, and your opinion. So I, I heard a presentation by a millennial uh, keynote at the NetView conference in Atlanta just a few months, a couple of months ago, uh, very specifically addressing millennials. And, and his firm does a lot of research in this area. One of the things he said that I had not heard before but has resonated with me is he believes there actually is a bifurcation going on in millennials. There's a group of millennials that actually does feel entitled, does think they should move faster, does, right, kind of all of the typical perception. But he said there's also a group of millennials that are hardworking, that are looking to grow, that don't feel entitled. And in fact, that group's irritated with the other group. So that made a lot of sense to me. And literally, I looked around the audience, obviously very large group, a couple thousand people. And at least what I perceived to be the millennials in the group, there were a whole lot of people shaking their head going, yeah, that's the way I feel. Any reaction to that? What do you think? Well, you know, it's probably not fair to any generational category to label them in a particular way. So a simple way to answer your question is, yes, of course, there's going to be a distribution of of those kinds of employees. And, you, you're, you know, you're going to have slackers and you're going to have overachievers. 
you know, look, so in my podcast, I interview a lot of insure tech startups and the vast majority of the startups that I've interviewed have been millennials. Mm -hmm. And I'm telling you, I would, I would struggle to compete against them. They are, they are incredibly ambitious, over ambitious to me. Like to me, it's just like, why are you so ambitious? Why do you want to take over the world type of attitude? Um, so sure. I think there's a distribution, but getting back to how HR may need to change the culture to get these millennials to retain. I just think that's good business practice. Mm -hmm. I just think it's good business practice to have your employees engaged, not just because it's millennials, but I think getting, I think if from a business standpoint, if you get your employees, if you got, if you, if you roll back time, we went back 30, 40 years and you got baby boomers more engaged, you get more out of them. If you get the Gen X folks more engaged, you get more out of them. So I think it's just good business practice. But yeah, I, I think I think employee engagement's the holy grail. I mean, I really do. I think that it's it's the thing that each company is driving towards now. Because, like you said, one engaged employee is probably worth four unengaged employees. I mean, the time that you need to communicate, what you have to communicate, the where they know they're going, what they're capable of doing, all changes drastically. Yeah, that engagement. Another quick question, and we're starting to run out of time here, but um, technology, agency technology, help or hindrance? Uh, the current agency technology is probably hindrance. Yeah, that, that's sort of where it, the core of my question. Yeah, you know, it's this younger generation coming in has expertise. <laughs> I didn't learn Microsoft Excel until I was like deep into college. These kids are dealing, these kids do their homework on Google Sheets and Google Docs. Mm -hmm. Kids uh, live, they do, they do their math problems in Google Sheets. Like if I ask them a complicated math problem, they immediately pull up Google Sheets and create a formula to answer the question. They don't carry calculators with them or anything. Um, these kids are digitally savvy. They understand big data. They understand, for, for a lot of them, they understand the mathematics that goes with um, you know, the, their level of mathematics is beyond what we ended up graduating with. So they have statistical knowledge. I wouldn't say they come out of college being able to do predictive modeling, but these are the kids that are playing Fortnite. And they're- And, and know, for those who might not know, what is Fortnite? It's a video game. Okay, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, it's, it's like a very sophisticated game. These, these kids are savvy and to put them in front of a software platform that's very, has, is very old, old technology. Um, yeah, it just doesn't resonate with them. To them, you might as, it's like dropping awesome saying, okay, here's a beautiful base, DOS based system. It sh you should be able to get everything done. As they're, you know, as they're navigating in that platform, they're just like, oh, why do I, why do I have to do this? You know, or this function's terrible. Who designed this? I, you know, when, when uh, I worked at a company that built some software, Steve, and young people would come in and, and I would hear that all the time. Who designed this? This is a terrible design. I would hear it all the time because these kids are being trained. They've taken coding classes. They've, they're not neophytes. They actually know how code is supposed to operate. They're very comfortable in that world and they don't want to deal with ancient platforms. Yeah. 
And I think that's a hindrance too, in terms of when talking to retention and all of those kinds of things. Well, well, you know, I, I don't want to deviate too far because I know, I know we are running out of time, but cloud-based systems, mm -hmm. that's part of the attraction. If you can allow these people to work from home, mm -hmm. right? It's, that's extremely valuable. If you want to engage with them, you give them the flexibility to sometimes work from home. So any system that's not cloud-based, where they have to log off at the end of the and at the end of the day and they can't get into the system at night or on the weekend that's a no no yeah agreed so what would you say to our listeners in terms of either things they can do right away or what are some key things that you've seen that could help uh, agency owners and managers to engage with this generation yeah, it's the engagement part, as as Ryan said. That's that's the million dollar problem here, and it comes down to you have to speak their language, and so I do think for agency owners, they're going to have to swallow their pride a little bit, and um, it's more than just putting a foosball table in there. I, I the first thing I would do with a young professional that was coming in, coming through the onboarding process. I would hammer them with how this is going to be your job and this is why it's important and this is why it's important and this is your role and this is why it's important and I would give them a sense of how they fit in and right after that I would give them a sense of this is your this is going to be your career path and for the agency owner they may not know what the career path exactly is but that's homework on their part starting to figure out when a young person comes in, what do we want them to be doing? If you think a young person is going to have the patience, even if you do engage with them, even if they do recognize that what they do is important, they can't be sitting in front of a desk and doing the same job for four years. There's absolutely no way that's going to happen. They're going to get bored easily. How do you change the job profile so that they can either transition up, go sideways, get a, get a breadth of different experiences, these kids are all about experiences. They get bored and they want a new experience. How can you take the position of account manager, CSR, uh, even producer, and how do you get them to get uh, the different experiences, the different, uh, the rich environment? How can you create a rich environment for them so that they get to see what, what their coworkers are working on? what their managers are working on, that they get brought into uh, different meetings. They, they kind of want to feel important. Part of that is just getting different experiences. So I think those are the two, two quick things, Steve. Mm -hmm. um, engage with them, give them a sense of purpose, and then begin to craft what their career path is going to look like. And they need to be engaged in that part too. Great. Thanks. Ryan, any last words or comment? I, I mean, I think he's dead on. I think a sense of purpose is is critical to build that engagement with that class. I think, you know, the pathing is extremely important, but if you can figure out how to give them a sense of purpose, show them how they're affecting the greater good, keep them on track, give them the, what a successful day looks like, that you're way ahead of the game. And so, yeah, try to That's get great. your engagement up because that'll win. Well, Nick, thanks uh, for taking the time to be with us uh, today. Uh, if people want to get in uh, contact with you, what's the best way? Best way is LinkedIn. So okay. uh, last name's Lamparelli. Uh, I'm sure you'll put it on show notes, but L-A-M-P, 
A-R-E-L-L-I. I'm usually the only one. So uh, connect with me on LinkedIn. Send me a message if you need anything. Uh, all of my insurance nerds, articles, and links to podcasts and my activity are all there. That's, that's probably the central area where uh, you, know, you can reach out, contact me, and uh, we can talk. Great. Well, thanks so much for being here. Appreciate you taking the time. Awesome. Steve, Ryan, appreciate it. This has been another episode of the Digital Broker Podcast with Steve Anderson and Ryan Deeds. Send us your questions and comments, and if you like what you hear, leave us a review. This podcast is brought to you by Indio Technologies. Indio Software helps agencies save time and money by turning the application and renewal process into digitally enhanced online forms. To learn why over a thousand agents use Indio, go to www.useindio.com/podcast.